Hello, and welcome to Truth For Today with Terry Fant. And yes, I'm your host, Terry Fant. In a world full of confusion that leads to chaos, the answer for clarity is the absolute truth of God's Word. It has stood the test of time. I hope you'll listen to this message with an open heart and that God would speak to you one-on-one through it. If you're ever in the Florence, Mississippi area, then we would love for you to join us for live worship. Please feel free to reach out to me at terryfant at icloud.com. May the Lord bless you as he draws, shapes, and instructs you. Now, let's listen to today's message. Amen. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. I wish somebody would get excited in here tonight. Hallelujah. I saw um, Mr. Jim was walking across the back parking lot. He had a big brown sack with him. And... Uh, he said, we, we know you didn't preach this morning, so we brought a big lunch. It wasn't one of those little small brown sacks. You know what I'm talking about? You know the little brown sacks you used to get when you was a, It wasn't one of those. It's one of those big old brown bags, you know. And so I hope you did come prepared for a full meal deal. And I just want to encourage you to grab your Bible, and you can go ahead and make your way to Luke, the gospel according to Luke, chapter 10, chapter number 10. And I'll just say this. I'm ready to share this word with you. <clears throat> I think about that song, High King of Heaven, my king forever. Isn't it amazing that you and I serve the king who, instead of requiring his subjects to give their life for him, uh, instead gave his life for us? You ever think much about that? What kind of king, instead of requiring his subjects to die in defense of the king or the kingdom, instead uh, gave his life so that we could, could live and be forgiven and pardoned? I hope you hadn't missed that today. You had, I hope you've meditated on that. I hope you've, that thought saturated your mind through all throughout this day. We've set aside to worship the Lord specific. We worship Him all the time, but on the Lord's day, the Word of God says we set apart it, make it holy, that we rest and we worship the Lord. How many of you got a nap today? Raise your hand. Oh, man. Hey, look at there. Boy, we're getting better. We're getting better. And so uh, I'm, I'm really longing for the day we come in here and 100% are able to say, you know what? <clears throat> I got a small nap today. Uh, let me say this to you. It may be against your nature, but let me just say this to you. It honors God when you rest on the Sabbath day. It honors God. And it'll benefit me and you, won't it? It'll benefit us. It will. God gave us the model, and then I pray that you and I would follow it. Okay, Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse, we're going to look at verse 25 and on down through verse 37. And let me tell you, I got about two messages prepared, okay? So just so you know, and I was praying ahead of time, you know, which one of these that I was going to share with you. And so, you know, I hate passing up on uh, verses 17 and on down through verse number 20 because it, it piggybacks off of Brian's message this morning because, you know, he sent out that 70. And you might have heard, you might have heard Brian say once 70, one time he said 72. Uh, you may have noticed that. If you pay attention to detail, you heard that, uh, especially if you were in both services like I was. Uh, you, heard, you heard it. So on. And so what you'll find is, is that Luke says 70, and in the other places it's recorded the Synoptic Gospel 72. So you may be asking yourself the question, what is the big discrepancy? Well, uh, and there's, not, there's no proven fact as to why those numbers are different, except that um, most likely it was the 72 number just because of the relationships of what was going on in the day and time. And to know this, whether it was 70 or 72, the two there don't affect the, the meaning and the change of anything about what's being taught there. Does that make sense to you? And so uh, now we'll, we'll dive into where, in verses 17 to 20, this is just the introduction, and this was the other sermon I was going to preach, but I'm not going to preach. Okay, oh, come on now, stay with me. And I just want to mention it, all right? I, don't, I want to mention it before we move on. So they come back, right? He sent them out, two by two. They're going to every city he's coming to. They've sent them out, and they've gone out, and they've gone, and they're preaching, and they're, he's giving them power and authority, and they're, they're ca casting out demons, and people are being healed, and they come back. And the first thing they say to Jesus is, in verse 17, they return, they have joy. They have joy in their heart. And you ask yourself the question, what were they so joyful about, right? Isn't that one of the words of the Christmas season? We talk about joy to the world. And they've come to Jesus and they said, oh, they're full of joy. And here's what they say. Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Now, they didn't talk about the people that were helped. They didn't talk about the souls that were saved. They didn't talk about uh, what God had done in their life. When they came to Jesus and was told him, because, you know, Jesus Sometimes in our human estimation, we think he needs to be informed. We have to inform him of things, right? Which we do not have to inform him of things because he's God. And they tell him, they say, we, we, the, the demons are subject to us. And don't you know Jesus is going, yeah, that's what I told you. That's what I sent you out for. I mean, that's the whole point of the thing, right? And so uh, Jesus says to them in verse 18, you might have seen this before, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Now, that's one of the most uh, difficult passages and verses in the Scripture to, to interpret literally uh, because we don't really necessarily know exactly what it was that Jesus was talking about. Was he talking looking back or was he looking forward? But when you look at the tenses of the aorist tenses of the, of the verb form, it literally says, I was seeing Satan 
uh, fall from uh, heaven like lightning, right? And so in, in context of what's going on, they're reporting to the power and authority they have over demons, is, and Jesus said, I, I saw that. Uh, in other words, remember the premise of this chapter was that the kingdom had come, right? In the person of, Je boy, y'all gonna have to come on now. Y'all know I start out wide open, so you gotta warm up quickly, okay? And so uh, notice that he, he, he's telling them that, man, I saw, I, I saw that. I was seeing that the whole time. I was seeing that before you were born. I was seeing Satan's rule and, 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 and dominion on the earth was broken now because the kingdom had come to earth, right, in the form of Jesus Christ the Son. And now, now in Jesus, we have authority over the enemy. Aren't you glad? Uh, that's part of what he's teaching here. And so they're casting out these demons. They come back and they're full of joy. But be careful that your joy is not based on your performance. Let me run that by you again. Be careful that your joy is not some emotional experience that's tied to your favorite song, huh? Or your how many yards you rushed for. Uh, I know there's some football players in the room. Or, or how many sales you made. Come on, somebody. Uh, because if your joy is in the accomplishments, even if you give God credit, listen, there are going to be times when you judge the accomplishments and they're not going to be up to your standard because God's doing something else in the moment, right? And sometimes God uses difficulty and God uses even our sin and God uses hardship and he uses all of that to accomplish something we can't see. And so if it's only attached to these wonderful experiential uh, things that happen, accomplishments, well, our joy is not going to be fulfilled and we'll, we'll not have the full joy of the Lord. So he says to them, you know, let me just go to read a little, and I'll tell you, this is not the message. This is just a little prelude, okay? Uh, he says, nevertheless, verse 20, because he just told him, I saw that. I'm the one who gave you the authority. That's what he says in verse, you see that in verse 19? I was, I was seeing Satan fall like lightning. Man, I, his, his, his rule is over. And I, I was the one who gave you the authority to do it, verse 20. Nevertheless, don't rejoice in that. Don't rejoice in what you're able to do. Come on, somebody. Don't rejoice in what you're able to do, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather, if you're going to have joy in something that's sustainable, find your rejoicing and your joy that your names, help me somebody, are written in heaven. Translation, here's how I say it in the old simple country boy terms, right? Sometimes I tell you, I look in the mirror and I have to remind myself, hey, 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 snap, snap out of it. Look, in, look at yourself. You're saved. You've been born again. What else do you need? Amen. What else do you need? No matter what happens in this sickness, no matter what happens in this situation, no matter what the outcome is, you are, oh, I have to tell myself this sometimes, you're saved. Your name's in the Lamb's book of life. So pick yourself up. Keep pressing on. Come on, my soul, and praise the Lord. I wish somebody here would get happy. I'm finding maybe it's harder to, when I don't preach in the morning to get you going with me. Come on in the evening. And so uh, let's dive in, all right? Now, we're going to fast forward. By the way, that's just a little prelude. And now we're going to pick up, fast forward through Jesus' explanation of the, uh, of the apostles and the, those that were sent as disciples, having uh, know that Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation, that God had given them some unique revelation, okay, that they were taking to the world. And now we're picking up in verse number 25. You feel like you're kind of caught up a little bit? Yes, all right. I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet. Let's read chapter, Luke chapter 10, verse 25, and on down through 37. <clears throat> so really, I didn't preach two messages. I gave you that little prelude, all right? So you can't say I preached two at once. Here we go, verse 25. <clears throat> and behold, a certain lawyer stood up. Now, remember what's happened is, he's, Jesus has just prayed, uh, Father, I thank you that the wise in this world are not really wise. Uh, that the prudent in this world are not really prudent. Um, that you've hidden those things because they're so smart in their own eyes, they can't see the gospel. Uh, because the hardness of their heart chooses darkness rather than light, then God has honored that, right, and hidden that from them. And now there's some in the group that are saying, wait a minute, who's he talking about? Is he talking about we're, we're the wise, we're the, we're, the, we're, the, we're the ones who are special, and is he talking to us? So they pose a question, okay? And Jesus is going to tell us, I love when he does this, he's going to answer the question with a story. All right, dive in with me. Verse 25, and behold, a certain lawyer stood up. And what was the lawyer doing? Testing Jesus. Listen, Jesus never failed to test and he never will. And he tested him, and this is what he said, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Well, he said to him, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? And the man answered back and said, well, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, and Jesus did, you have answered rightly, do this and you'll live, uh, because we know that we can't in our own strength do that. Verse 29, but he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, because, you know, when Jesus poses, he's thinking to himself, I've done that pretty good. If my, you know, if my list of neighbors is smaller, then I probably have lived up to this fulfillment. 
And so Jesus takes this opportunity to show them that no, no man can live up to the law, and he uses it by using the example, and you'll understand it as we go along. Read with me verse 29. But he, the man, the lawyer, wanting to justify himself, said to, back to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus answered and said to him, I love this, don't you? A certain man went down from Jerusalem. Don't you imagine you just ask him a question? And by the way, because I want to feel better about myself, if we can shrink down the list of my neighbors, then maybe I can have fulfilled the law of loving God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, and my neighbors myself. If I can shrink it down, then I may have justified and fulfilled the law of God. And Jesus, he asked the question, so who's my neighbor? A certain man. Can you hear him start telling the story? A certain man. <laughs> I love him. I love him. He said, a certain man went down to Jerusalem, or from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a certain priest came by down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by. Somebody tell me where he passed. On the other side. And likewise, a Levite, who also served and has some temple responsibilities, when he arrived at the place, he came and looked, and he passed by also on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, now remember this lawyer was a Jew. We know that he is Jewish. And he's, Samaritans and Jews did not get along. There was a, a racism to the one millionth power. The worst ugliness we see of it in America pales in comparison to the Jew toward the Samaritan and the Samaritan toward the Jew. And the Samaritan, so he tells the story. And in this story, the certain Samaritan, as he went by, he journeyed and came where he was. And when he saw him, <clears throat> rather than going on the other side, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three, now Jesus now has left the parable, the story, and he's now began to ask the lawyer a question based on what he said. So he asked Jesus a question. Jesus told him a parable. Now he's going to ask a question based on what he taught him in that lesson, okay? Verse number 36. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And the lawyer said back to Jesus, he who showed mercy on him. And Jesus said to him, he didn't say, yes, you're correct. He just said, one more time all together like you mean it. Go and do likewise. I love the Lord Jesus. I love the way he taught. All right, let's bow our heads for just a moment and ask him to teach us tonight. Would you do that? That's what we're asking you tonight, God, to teach us. The same way that Jesus was teaching that lawyer and teaching the disciples and teaching those who were there in the 70, Lord, we ask you to teach us tonight. And I pray that we would begin in this place, that all of us would know that we've not been taught enough yet, that we don't need to be taught again. And so would you teach us tonight about the ways of the kingdom and about our own heart, about you and about who you are. And Father, I pray tonight that you'd help me to preach. And God, as you help me to preach, would you also help me to listen attentively? Now, Father, I pray that for every person within the sound of my voice, whether they're in this room, in this state, in these United States, in this world, or listening somewhere in a podcast later on, Father, would you help us now humble ourselves and listen attentively, sitting on the front edge of our seat in anticipation that our daddy, the high king of heaven, our king forever, is about to speak to us. We ask it in Jesus' name. And the people of God said, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> Don't you hope he speaks to you tonight? I hope he speaks to you, and I hope he speaks to me tonight. I came tonight with that expectation. The title of the message is, Be a Neighbor. Be a neighbor. Now, somebody out there is thinking, shouldn't it say be a good neighbor? No, just be a neighbor. A neighbor by Jesus' definition is obviously going to be a great neighbor, okay? So be a neighbor. You say, well, I live by somebody. Does that qualify? No, 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 that's not. Jesus didn't talk about this neighbor being somebody who lived close to the man in the ditch, but the neighbor was the one to the man that met compassion. The compassion led to action, and action led to sacrifice and the love went a little extra, and we see someone being a neighbor in a real and tangible way. Here's what I hope, hope you'll leave out of here with today. You ready? <clears throat> Here's the main idea. I hope you leave out of here with this tonight. Those who are saved love God and love people. Would you write that somewhere? Those that love God, I mean, those who are saved love God and love people. Now, maybe it is you're here tonight, or you're listening at some other time or some other location, and you may be asking yourself the question, when you hear the word saved, you might be saying, saved from what? I've told you guys before that I had a man approach me one time, and he said someone was sharing the gospel with him, and the man said that Jesus could save him, and they had a little more conversation, and he said when he left, and I scratched, he said when he left, I was so confused. He said, I don't know if he meant, he said, would you tell me what he meant? Did he mean that Jesus would save me from cancer? 
And that's what he asked me. And so sometimes we have to be careful that we, that we explain a little bit more, right, than just the catchphrases that we've learned uh, in our lifetime. <clears throat> so I explained to the man that what Jesus can do is save you from the power of sin, which can, without Jesus, will dominate me and you, and the penalty of sin that without Jesus separates us from God. And that's what Jesus separ- uh, saves us from. So those who are saved, in other words, born again, love God and they love people. Love God and love people. All right, let's dive into the text. Going back to verse number 30 with me, if you will, okay? <clears throat> Remember, the first verses are context. Uh, there, uh, He's with his disciples. He's with the 70, but there are also some people who aren't saved, some that, that, that aren't really following him in the crowd. And so he's just uh, prayed a prayer, and they've all obviously heard the prayer because he's praying, God, I thank you that you've, Father, I thank you that you've hidden uh, these things from the wise, those that think that they're somebody. Uh, they can't see that they need Jesus. They can't see that they need God's Savior and rescue. And so because of that, God's honored that, and they've been blinded to the fact that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And so as they're praying this, one in the crowd's going, wait a minute, wait a minute, is he talking about, he's thinking to himself, is he talking about us? Let me ask you a question. What must I do then to inherit, inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, you, what, is the, what does the law say? What have you read the law to say? And he says, oh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, okay, well, if that's what it, you know, if that's what it says, then you do that and you'll live. And the guy starts evaluating his life a little bit. You know how we do on the inside? He starts thinking, now, let's see, all right, I love, love God. Well, do I love God? Yeah, I think I love God. Well, all right, second part, love my neighbor as myself. Oh, there's that one guy I don't really love too much. And there's that other joker whose skin's a little lighter than mine. Or skin's a little darker than mine. I, you know, those Samaritans, I, I don't, you know, let me just do this. Hey, Jesus, who's my neighbor? Can we, can we shrink that thing down and figure out? Because surely, surely I've been good enough, surely I've loved well enough to qualify for eternal life. And so Jesus, rather than saying yes, no, or maybe, he says a certain man, I love it. He gives him an illustration here. So let's go back and look through it together, okay? Number one in your notes, then. there are going to be about 10 of these because I didn't get to preach this morning. And here we go. <clears throat> All right. Now, let's start out by writing this in your notes. First of all, we start the whole conversation with the wrong question. And what we need to understand tonight is that the question itself was wrong, exposing that the man was wrong. Does that make sense to you? Here's what the question, his question was, who is my neighbor, right? And, and his, his anticipation was that he could narrow the list down, and surely he had loved some people well, but not all people. And if he could narrow the list down, he'd feel a little bit better about whether he had earned or deserved, y'all, y'all say with me, eternal life. So let's look, all right? Look back at verse number 30 with me. And uh, the wrong question is, here's the wrong question. Maybe you'd write your notes, who is my neighbor? That's the wrong question. The question is not who should I love. That's the wrong question altogether. That's a self-centered, self-seeking kind of love that says, if there's somebody I can exclude, I'm going to exclude them and make it easier on myself. That's the wrong question. You should never go to God and say, now, God, who should I love? Never. So the wrong question was, who is my neighbor or who should I love? <clears throat> so I want to begin to just talk a little bit about what is a neighbor. All right, but first observation I want us to make is found in verse number 30. So put your eyes there with me, if you will. And I want you to write this statement somewhere in your notes, and that is this. Life is full, and you know this, because sometimes you're that person, but, but here's the truth. Life is full of hurting people. Do you believe that tonight? Say amen. Life is full of hurting people. Some people are hurting physically, aren't they? How many of you in this room... Uh, have at some point today experienced some measure of pain, physical pain. Raise your hand. See there? See there? And so isn't it amazing that maybe uh, you don't know about it, and maybe that, you know, you wonder why somebody's short with you sometimes or why they aren't as smiley and friendly as, as sometimes, and you may not realize that they've got some kind of chronic pain in their body that is just always bearing down on them. But some people, some people are not hurting physically. Some people are hurting emotionally, right? Now, let's ask this question. How many of you here are hurting in some way because of a loved one, because of the loss of a loved one, because of a struggling loved one, because of a best friend that's got some stuff in their life that's really hurting them, or some stuff in your own life? How many of you in the room at present would say that there's some kind of emotional hurt or pain in your life? Raise your hand. Wow, way more than the physical pain. And so we began to see that the truth of the matter is, this room, we, could, we could change that statement from life is full of hurting people. We could say, this room is full of hurting people. 
And the truth of the matter is we all have some pains and things that we go through. And so what happens in verse number 30, <clears throat> we find Jesus telling the story, this parable in verse 30 says, and Jesus answers that a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho <clears throat> and he fell among thieves. Now this word fall uh, means that he wasn't, that he was looking for him. It wasn't that he poorly planned. It wasn't that he was at fault. He, he's just living life and all of a sudden he, he's attacked by these thieves. So you, you understand that, that sometimes in this life, uh, it's not, a, it's not that, that, that you have to be doing something wrong to have something bad happen to you. Have you found that out about life? Uh, that, that life is full of hurt and hurting people and, and it's not always based on decisions that you make, but the truth of the matter is life is full of hurting people. Now, <clears throat> what this does, stay with me, is that it presents a lot of opportunities to be a good neighbor. You agree with that? When do you need a neighbor more than ever? When you're hurting. Oh, we're starting to put some pieces together tonight. So because life is full of hurting people, and even this room is full of hurting people, what we understand based on that is that there are a lot of opportunities to be a neighbor. All right, so let's move forward from there. Number two, listen how quickly you are listening tonight. <clears throat> some of y'all slept really well. <clears throat> Number two, write this in your notes, <clears throat> neighbor is more than a title. Okay, so write that down. Neighbor is more than a title. Now, again, you're thinking about the Western word neighbor, and that just means somebody lives next door to somebody. That's not, this word means somebody who is in good relationship with and is there to help with burdens and share life, good and bad together, okay? And so, <clears throat> neighbor is more than a title. Where do I get that? Read with me, if you will, in verses 31. And this, you see it says 31 and 31. That needs to say 31 and 32, okay? 31 and 32, so read with me, 31 and 32. Now, by chance, a certain priest came down the road, and he saw him. So we, we can go ahead and, and determine in our mind, it wasn't that he was walking down the road and he didn't notice the guy. Now, some of us would say, maybe if we were the one that Jesus was using the example, we'd say, oh, Jesus, I, you know, I didn't see him. I was busy. I had my head down. And I, but we give, we're given this detail to know for certain that the priest did, in fact, see the hurting man in the ditch. You with me? You got that part? Okay, let's move a little further along. <clears throat> so he sees him in the ditch. He says, and by chance that one goes by, and when he saw him, uh, when he saw him, notice that he, wasn't on, he didn't go on the other side of the road to avoid a pothole. He didn't, he didn't go to the other side of the road to keep from finding himself in a dangerous obstacle. Uh, but it says the moment that he saw the man in the ditch hurting, that's when he chose to swap sides on the street. You see? Because the self-centered nature we're born with chooses to not be interrupted by the pain of others. Oh, now let me say this. That's not being a neighbor. It's not being a neighbor for us to notice that someone else is hurting and not at least try in our capacity to those people God's put in our circle to be there for them. Now, to be there for them doesn't mean always that we can buy them a new car when their car is broken or buy them a new house, but it means we can be there to listen. You know, I've learned that most of what I do is just listen. I do a whole lot of listening. You said, no, you don't. All we hear you do is talking. And I do a lot of talking but I do a lot of listening. Sometimes, you know, I have to, first thing when someone comes in with something in my office, I'm praying when they come in the door, Lord, let me know is this is just a listening time. If, if they're going to ask me for some advice, Holy Spirit, bring some verses to my mind that I'll know how to speak to what it is, not based on my knowledge, but yours. But Lord, if it's just a listening, close my mouth and help me just to have compassion and think about what they're telling me. And so I want you to see what he's saying is, is that the title of priest was there, but the role of neighbor was absent. Do you see that? And so neighbor is more than a title. Christian is more than a title. Uh, you're a Christian? Oh, yeah, I'm living in Mississippi, you know. I'm, I'm a Christian. I said, what does that have to do with being born again? You know, I had a man tell me not too long ago. He said, well, you know, this American religion that you preach, I said, hang on. This is all steeped in the, in the Middle East. What do you mean, this American religion? And so we have to be careful, don't we, <clears throat> that we understand a neighbor is more than a title. So the priest goes on the other side of the road, but then there's another person who serves in the temple in verse number 32. Likewise, Jesus said in the exact same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and came and looked, and when he came and looked, what did he do? Passed by on the other side. Uh, you know, I speed up a little bit. Maybe he didn't see me. You know, he might be dead. I'm not fooling with that. And then we got to figure out who the next of kin is and figure out all that and if you touch a dead body, you'll be unclean. You know, I've just got to keep going. I can't, I can't get messy. Uh-oh, some of us in here avoid being a neighbor because we're afraid of getting messy. Let, let me say something to you. Listen, our master got messy. And if our master got messy, then we also ought to get messy. And I don't mean messy in our attitudes. Come on, somebody. 
I'm not talking about messy in our gossip and, and, and looking. Oh, I wish some of y'all would hear what I'm saying tonight. I'm not talking about messy as in busybodies who are in everybody else's business. I'm talking about messy as in we get down in the messes of life and we love people right where they are. That's the messy that Jesus was willing to do. It's the messy that these neighbors by title were not willing to do. And so we're going to move on. Number two, neighbor is more than a title. All right? If we're not careful, listen, if we're not careful, we'll avoid the disruption. And avoiding the disruption oftentimes misses the opportunity to be a neighbor and love people like Jesus has loved us, all right? We have to be careful. Our time can mess us up. Our agenda can mess us up. Y'all rocking with me? Those things will keep us sometimes from slowing down a little bit and saying, how can I help? How can I help? And we'll, if we're not careful, we'll all be neighbors in title walking by on the other side of the street. And we don't listen. By the way, in Jesus' parable, they aren't the guys that, are the, they aren't the guys that you're trying to model your life after, and they're not the neighbors, okay? Title only. <clears throat> Number three. And there are only four of these. How about that? Some of y'all said, man, you must have been watching Brian, how quick he preached through this morning. Huh? Some of y'all said, man, we need to, he needs to preach more often. We get out of here a little earlier. Uh, I saw that this morning. All right, number three, write this down. A neighbor, and we're going to finish this four different ways, A, B, C, and D this time, okay? So write a neighbor, just those two words. And for the sake of maybe in your mind, put three dots after it because we're going to finish it all four ways, a neighbor. So what we're really going to do right now is give four characteristics or qualities of what a neighbor is, okay, in, in the terms of Jesus' parable. So here we go. A letter A, a neighbor has compassion. Would you write that down? A neighbor has what? Compassion. A neighbor has compassion. Now, you may be asking yourself, what is compassion? Compassion is care and concern for the condition of another, okay? You have compassion, uh, you see what they're going through, and you care. Now, it's not necessarily empathy. In other words, you don't have to have been where they are to have compassion. I mean, you have to sometimes be where a person is before you can have empathy, right? But compassion is something altogether different. And might I say to you that we see in the life of Jesus, in his life on earth, he was full of, somebody help me, compassion. And aren't you thankful? Aren't you stopping right now and just thinking about your life? and the condition that you've been in in the past, maybe the condition you've been in recently. And aren't you thankful tonight that in the midst of that situation, Jesus cared about and had concern for the condition that you and I were in? Anybody besides me? I'm telling you, I'm so glad he had compassion and still has compassion for me today. So he had compassion. Let me just read a little further what happens here in the parable that Jesus told. Pick it up in verse 33. <clears throat> but a certain Samaritan, now, now imagine you're in the audience and you know that this this lawyer, this, uh, this uh, Jewish man who was well-respected, right? And he asks a question, and Jesus starts telling a parable, and in the parable, some people are going to look better than other people. Does that make sense? So far, we see a man who's beat up in a ditch. Well, he's sort of a neutral character, right? He wasn't necessarily doing anything wrong, but he's not elevated to somebody who does anything special. He just gets beat up and stole from, okay? But then you got these other two guys who in this audience would be very highly respected, the Pharisee and... The Levite. Come on, y'all got to stay with me. The Pharisee and the Levite. And so this audience is hearing that, and they're thinking, oh, these are going to be, in their mind, I'm just trying to help you frame up the cultural reference. This lawyer and this audience, some of these, uh, this audience is saying in their head already, oh, as soon as he mentioned the priest, he's going to be the hero of the story. And then he tells about the priest going around the need. <laughs> You're like, whoa. And so then they have the Levi. Okay, well, maybe there was just one priest and he had a problem. But now this other well-respected Jewish Levite is definitely going to do the right thing. And the audience is hearing it. And this second opportunity uh, to lift up uh, the Jewish people in the story, and what happens? The Levite does the same thing. And so now they're getting a little, don't you know, they're getting a little ticked off. Now, wait a minute. Now, in their estimation, in Jesus' parable, if it's a teaching, a Jewish teaching, then who's supposed to be elevated in the story is the Jew. But then he says, of all things, a Samaritan. Now, listen to what he says. But a certain, help me somebody, Samaritan. It's very important that you understand the context of what's going on here. This audience now says, oh, oh, this is the dog of the story. Because they viewed each other, the Jew to the, to, the, to the Samaritan, the Samaritan to the Jew, as devils and dogs. They would oftentimes walk and travel on foot uh, 15, 20, 50, 100 miles out of the way to avoid crossing each other's territory, being each other's presence. 
Uh, they absolutely loathed and hated one another. Now this audience, especially this Jewish man who's asked a question, has now heard about two high-ranking Jews that are not being neighbors, and we hear about this Samaritan, and guess what the Samaritan is going to do? He's going to be a neighbor. Now remember the question. I don't, want you, I don't want to move you too far past where this all started. It started with a question that said, can I lower down, can I reduce my list, can I shrink down the people I'm supposed to love and care for, like the Samaritans, could I put them on the list of not love for because they're not like me and I don't like them? Can I shrink down my list? And rather than Jesus saying no, he says, I'm going to tell you a parable to help you understand what's going on. You're asking the wrong question. Let me read a little further, okay? Where we leave off? Verse number 33. Amen. You guys are staying alert tonight. Yes, verse 33. All right. So a neighbor has compassion. Listen, a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, just like the other two who were neighbor only in title, when he saw him, the Scripture says he had compassion. There was in his heart a care and concern for the condition of the man who's in the ditch. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute. <clears throat> I want you to think about the times in your life when you and I have seen somebody in a certain situation, and there were times when you and I had compassion. You ever had times like that? Uh, somebody's going through something, somebody's in a situation, and you, you just say to yourself, man, I'm just so concerned. My heart's heavy. Uh, my mind is really, really just torn up because this person is, this is what's happening in their life. And compa listen, compassion can be a painful thing, can it? Uh, what I would say to you is that compassion, when it's real, it, it can be a weighty matter. It's not something you can just say, I'm going to quit thinking about that. It keeps coming back. You, ever, you know what I'm talking about? It keeps coming back to the front of your mind. Compassion, real authentic compassion. It just keeps coming back, settling in. And, and so what happens is a neighbor, now the neighbor, the Samaritan, he's representing the neighbor, he has compassion. Let me just move on to letter B. A neighbor has compassion, A, but a neighbor acts, okay, A-C-T-S. What does it mean? Takes action. So a neighbor has compassion, but a neighbor also doesn't just sit in his rocking chair and say, boy, I really just care about. A neighbor, ha a neighbor also acts, or you might say takes action, okay? Now let's read <clears throat> verse number 34. So he sees him just like the others, but there's a different feeling in his heart. Notice that, that when the priest and the Levite who were serving the Lord in their mind had no compassion for a human who had fallen into a very difficult situation who's half dead, who needs help, who needs somebody to help him now. He can't wait for them to have a bunch of meetings and discuss and figure out. I mean, he's, he's dying in the ditch, all right? But then the Samaritan sees him, and his heart is moved with compassion. And so he said to him, listen, he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and the Scripture says, took care. That's all verbs. You, you notice that? And so what I want you to see is that he didn't just ride by with compassion and say, boy, you know, I bet that knot on his head hurts real bad. He didn't ride by and say, boy, I bet he's going to be hungry a couple of days from now if he's still alive. He didn't keep on going, hurrying on to the temple or, or the, the priest and the Levite probably headed to the temple. But, but, but you and I oftentimes are just headed to work, headed to different places, and we can get so uh, focused, can't we, on our time and agenda that we'll just go right on by. And what we need to really ask ourselves is why is there a lack of compassion in our heart for the condition of other people? Could it be that we've forgotten that God found us in a ditch as well? Let me run that by you again. Have you forgotten God saved you too? And you, like me, God found a ditch. You said, yeah, but preacher, here's what I get all the time. No, it wasn't a ditch. I really wasn't in a ditch because I didn't drink and do violence and all like you did. I have people tell me that all the time, you know. I wasn't as bad as you, and I say, well, thank you, you know. It's good to meet you. My name's Terry. <laughs> and uh, I agree with you. It's worse than you know, okay. But let me say this to you. What you've missed out on is that you've broken one letter of God's law. You're guilty of the entirety of it. And so you were just as bad as me. And you were just as dead in your trespasses and just as lost and separated from God as I was. And, and let me just say to you, oftentimes we get what I call, y'all heard me say it before, churched up. All of a sudden we've gone to several classes and we've been discipled and we've done some things. We've got a little head knowledge. And all of a sudden we get a bunch of knowledge about what it looks like and all that. And all of a sudden we find ourselves having a lack of compassion for people who have not gotten there yet. And it's an ugly thing. It looks just like a priest swapping to the other side of the road and walking by quickly to get about his busyness for the Lord, his teaching opportunities for the Lord, and miss out on loving them right where they are. 
So we have to be reminded God found us in a ditch too. Do you remember when God found you? And aren't you glad it was him looking for you and you weren't looking for him? And he came and found you and pulled you out of the pit, put your feet on a solid rock and put a new song in your heart. I don't know. Does anybody here remember when you got saved? And I don't know about you, man, I'm just still hadn't gotten over. I think some of us in here have gotten over, or at least we act like it sometimes. You know, I'm praying for you this week. God will, uh, God will shake your cage and rattle your, turn your apple cart upside down and take you back to the day you invited Jesus to be Lord, and that would be what motivates you to have a heart full of gratitude all this week. However many days he gives us, you know it. So a neighbor has compassion. A neighbor acts, all right? He went over and he did something. He did something. He did what he could do. Uh, letter C, uh, a neighbor also sacrifices. You say, where'd you get that? Well, who was the oil and the wine for that he had in his, in his bags? It was for him. He was already on a trip, and he's continuing on a trip, and he's going to need those supplies for himself, but because he was a neighbor, a neighbor's willing to sacrifice. And oh, I just, I don't know about you, but when I'm thinking about full of compassion and, and one who acts, their love is action, and they sacrifice, there's a name that keeps, I hear in my head, it's a, he's such a good friend of mine, I think about his life modeling this example, and the fact that he had compassion, he has compassion, he had it, he has it, he, he acted upon it, and he, and he sacrifices, and, and his name is Jesus. And he was the ultimate neighbor, wasn't he? And he's the one that we model our lives after. He's the one, if we say we're following Jesus, then we follow him as being a neighbor. All right? Now, let me just kind of read a little further along. So, we said sacrifices. Let me just make this statement to you. Compassion, when you act on compassion, you see, compassion is care for the condition of another, and action is the byproduct of compassion. If it's real and you have, if you can, now you can't always do something, but when you can, as much as you can, you're able to, you do something based on compassion. Compassion leads to action, okay? But then the next thing is that, is that also action is going to require some sacrifices. It may not be financial sacrifice. It may be time sacrifice. I've got to give up some time to help this person, to meet this need, to minister, to serve. Uh, there's some sacrifices that'll happen, all right? Uh, uh, let me just move on. And finally, letter D, this is number four. Uh, letter D, three A, B, C, and D. A neighbor has compassion, a neighbor acts, a neighbor sacrifices. And letter D, a neighbor loves extra. Would you write that? A neighbor loves extra. Okay? Now, let me show you that. Uh, Jesus says in verse 35, he'd already, the man had already, uh, in verse 34, poured oil and wine. That was... Uh, uh, medicinal on the wounds. It helped the wounds to heal and keep them clean. <clears throat> and he set him on his own animal. And we began to see in the end of verse 34, uh, a sacrifice starting to happen because, uh, well, sometimes it'd be all right to pour that. We think in our mind, let me just pour the, uh, uh, the, the wine on his wounds. That little alcohol in there will help with the, with the germs in his cuts. And I'll put that oil on there. It'll promote healing and put a covering over to keep, keep the germs out. And we're just going to, and then, and then I'm going to get on my donkey and ride. Huh? I mean, I've done enough. I've put a little oil on it, put some wine on it. He's going, he'll probably going to be okay, maybe. But I've done what I can do. I'm going to get on my donkey and ride. But he didn't do that. We see, we see a little extra love, don't we? Uh, he puts the man where? On his own animal and brought him to an end. And he didn't just bring him to an end. So I'm going to get you a room right here and put you in this bed. And you, I hope you do okay. And if you're alive in the morning, we'll see what happens. But it says he put him on his own donkey and he took him to the end and he did what? Took care of him. Took care of him. You know what I'm reminded of? I'm reminded of a little small um, man who ministered to me in the Philippines a number of years ago. Some of you know that I, I, got, I got typhoid fever while I was in the Philippines. And about the third night, I couldn't figure out that when I would preach in the evenings in, in these huge places that my head would feel like it was going to explode, and I would run a fever of 104, 105 in the evening, and then uh, I would go, I would pass out during the night somehow and wake up still standing. It was just a lot of weird things happened. But on the third night, it got so bad, I couldn't, I couldn't go. It just couldn't go anymore. And so I'm in the hotel room, and I'm, I'm, my heart's broken because I cannot physically go and preach, and I have an opportunity, and somebody else is going to preach in my place. And the pastor comes in who's from there, and he's interpreting. He's been interpreting for Brother Johnny Tucker for years and years. And he comes in. He's got his silk shirt on. I mean, he looks, he looks nice. Boy, that thing is ironed. He didn't have no wrinkles on him. He's got his khaki pants on, you know. And uh, he's going to interpret. And there's probably about 20,000 people waiting where they're about to go. And they really need to be gone already. But he stops by my room. And uh, he comes in, and, and he asks me how I'm doing, and I, and I can't even ask. I'm just sort of face down there in the bed, laying down on the bed. 
And he, he, he's talking to his daughters and nurses. He, I, he starts, I look over, one eye cracked up, and he's unbuttoning his silk, the outer silk shirt, and he's got a little cotton a tank top on underneath it. And he sets that cotton, I mean, that silk shirt over to the side, and he gets on my back. Now, I've only known him for about four days. And he begins to rub my neck and my shoulders. And, and, and some of y'all think, oh, that's kind of weird, a man doing that. You've never been, you, you may not have been sick as I, I was at, at that time, like they thought I was going to die. And I, I'm telling you, it was the first 10 minutes of relief I'd had since five days, six days straight. And he, he didn't know me. He didn't owe me anything. He had somewhere to be, you know. And uh, he had things to do. He had, he had a sermon to get ready to kind of interpret for. And there he was sitting on my back, straddled my back, rubbing my neck, rubbing my back, rubbing my, rubbing my, my shoulders, my head. And it was, it was the first, I wish I could tell you how good it felt. And I mean, for the first time, I was able to take a deep breath, and, and I just said, my goodness. And they were tell, I remember hearing them come in and saying, come on, we're going to be late. And he says, I'm, I'm not through yet. And so for about 20 minutes or so, he gave me the first relief I'd had in days, and it reminded me of what it looks like to be a neighbor. Sacrifice. He didn't have to do that. It took his time, it took his energy, it took his effort, made him a little late for where he was going. But what an example of Jesus it was to me, and I'll never forget it as long as I live. I'll never forget how he was a neighbor to me on that day. So it's a, we said a neighbor loves, here's the word, extra. We don't just love enough to say we did the thing. We love extra. We go what we call above and beyond. It is the principle when the Scripture says if somebody asks you to go uh, for them with them one mile, you agree and go that one mile, but then you go, a second mile, right? You go extra. You love extra. We don't just, listen, I, I'm telling you, we've been played with this idea that we can do just enough to get by and say we did it. And that's not the example of Jesus. It's loving well. It's loving extra. It's loving excellent. And so may God create that in you. So we've looked at what a neighbor is in Jesus' story because who's the neighbor in the, in the parable? It's not the priest. It's not the Levite. They were neighbors in, in title only. But then you had this this hated Samaritan, at least to this lawyer who's asking the question. And Jesus said the Samaritan is the one who was a neighbor. And here's what it looked like, and he, he laid it out for him. Now, just read a little further along with him. This is number four, and can you believe we're at the end? Yeah, because it's 7.05. I'm surprised time runs by so fast. I'm telling you, I could spend two or three hours with you guys every time we meet, and I know you get sick of that, but I'm telling you, it blesses my soul. All right, let's read together. Let's close it, all right, together. Look in verses 36 and 37. Number four, write in your notes. Be a neighbor. That's where we're going to land the plane. We said first, life is full of hurting people. What is that? Opportunities to be a neighbor. Second, we said, neighbor is more than a title. Priest, Levite, they weren't a neighbor. Samaritan, he was a neighbor. Well, then in Jesus' parable, we look at the neighbor a little bit closer. We look at the Samaritan a little closer, and we get what a neighbor looks like. A neighbor has compassion. A neighbor acts based on that compassion. A, a neighbor sacrifices of his, own, of his own stuff. And a neighbor loves extra, okay? And then finally, we're left with this thought from Jesus back to the lawyer that we should, in fact, not worry about who is our neighbor, but we should be focused on being a neighbor. Look at you guys. Y'all could have preached it. Being a neighbor. So let's read, all right? In conclusion, verse 36 and 37. And so, so Jesus says, by the way, he says, take care, I'm reading 35. Well, the next day he departed, took two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, take care of him, and whatever you spend, when I come again, I'm going to repay you. See the extra in that? Most of us would have said, man, he went above and beyond when he got him out of the ditch. Most of us would have said, he did all he needed to do when he, when he, when he took care of him. But then he left some extra money. And said, hey, wait until he gets on his feet. Give him a place to stay. Take care of him. And if that's not enough, I'll pay you the rest when I come back. Wow. What an example of Jesus being a neighbor. So Jesus posed the question, verse 36. So remember now, where we went into the parable, there was a question posed. What was the question? Who is my neighbor? So now we've told the parable, a teaching story, and now we're getting a question back from Jesus to the original question owner, right? And here's this question. Read with me verse 36. So which of these three do you think was neighbor? Notice, notice he didn't say a neighbor. That's why, see, he didn't say a neighbor. He says he was neighbor. He was neighbor to him who fell on which one? So the question went from who is my neighbor to who is the neighbor? Who's being a neighbor? You focus on the wrong thing about how can you shrink your love list down 
And what you instead should do is, am I being one who's loving like Jesus is, right? So let me just read and conclude. He says, uh, who, who, which one? And in verse 37, the lawyer said back to Jesus, he who showed mercy on him. So he, listen, he was a smart man, intelligent man, and he processed by logic, made sense uh, that the one who uh, was a neighbor to him was the one who had shown him mercy. He didn't deserve what he, what he did. He, he gave him, you know, he helped him. And he, and he says, and Jesus said to him after he said, well, the one who showed mercy, Jesus said very plainly, notice he never told him who was his neighbor. Did you miss that? He just said, well, this is your neighbor. This person's your neighbor. Ah, uh, don't worry about loving them. This one's your neighbor. That one's your neighbor. This one's not a neighbor. Ah, uh, not that one. You know, it would be, some of us wish that Jesus would have said, well, here's, your, here's who you should love. Love those who never steal from you and hate a thief. We, a lot of us would say, oh, that's an awesome thing. But he didn't say that. He didn't say that, did he? He didn't say, some of us would say, man, uh, he said, uh, uh, who's my neighbor? Uh, the neighbors are those who have the same skin color as you. Some people in America would love if Jesus said that, but he didn't. Some of us would love if Jesus would have said, love those who never cuss, always live right, right? But he didn't say that. He said, you don't worry about reducing your list of love. You, you be concerned about who you are and whether or not you really are a neighbor. And if you're being a neighbor... And wouldn't that be good if all of us tonight just went before the Lord and said, God, tonight I realize I need to be a neighbor. There's some people in my life I have prejudice against. There's some people I don't think like, I don't look alike. Now, maybe they're same-sex attraction. Maybe they're lighter or darker. Maybe they're more intelligent. Maybe they have more money or less money. Maybe they've stolen before. Maybe they have done some terrible things in their past. And because of that, Lord, I have prejudice in my heart toward them. Lord, would you help me to realize what you want from me is to be a good example of you, and you are a neighbor. And I want to be... I want to be like you. Jesus, I want to be a neighbor. I want you to think about that tonight as we bow our heads together. Would you bow your head with me for just a moment? Jesus said, by the way, as we bow our heads, Jesus said, go and do likewise. Likewise meaning do like the guy in the story. Be like the Samaritan. Be like the one who went and found them in the ditch. And ultimately, remember this was a parable, and the parable is not a story that's true. It's a story that's, that Jesus tells for teaching purposes. And so in essence tonight, remember that the hero of the story is not the Samaritan, but it's who the Samaritan represents. The qualities of the one the Samaritan represents in his name is Jesus. So the hero of the text tonight is, is Jesus. It's not the lawyer. It's not the 70. It's Jesus. Wouldn't it be great tonight if all of us, if all of us just simple, our simple prayer, our simple cry to God would be, God, help me be a neighbor. Help me be a neighbor. Let's talk about some simple ways with our heads bowed and eyes closed that we can be a neighbor. Well, <clears throat> you know, I always refer to our seating areas as, what do I call them? Does anybody know what I call them? Neighborhoods. Oh, how about that? Where do you think I get that from? Well, a neighborhood should be full of Neighbors, you guys just finally picked up why I call it neighborhoods. So I want to just sort of, if I could, challenge you tonight to start being a neighbor in your neighborhood. You say, where I live? Well, yes, of course. But I want to be specific to when we gather as the body of Christ for a minute, if I could. I'm just going to boil it down real simple. I'm going to invite you, instead of coming in and picking your seat, getting there as quick as you can, getting your stuff all arranged for you, all about self and how you like it and all that stuff. You might sit somewhere different in your neighborhood, and you might spend some time just going around introducing yourself to people who look lonely. You might just go, instead of worrying about somebody getting your chair or what, what, when you, you know, what, what, all of that stuff, you get here a little early so that you could go around your neighborhood and visit and be a neighbor. I wonder when the last time you walked through your neighborhood, this, uh, this place where you sit, and you ask if you could pray for somebody. You know, I notice sometimes we come in and we sit down, and boy, we'll be here 45 minutes early, and we'll sit in our seat. We won't get up. I'm telling you, we're in our neighborhood, and we have taken up shop. I want to challenge you not to, not to treat this place like somewhere where we come and take, but somewhere that we come and give. I wish I could tell you that many testimonies over these 18 years of people coming up to me and saying, you know, the reason I'm still alive is because somebody came up to me on Wednesday night, on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and I didn't think anybody recognized me because I'm not married or I didn't have children, and I've been in the ditch, and I've been living a horrible life, and I heard that, you know, there was some hope for me, and there was a person that came up to me and introduced himself and sat down by me. That ought to be the norm 
That ought to not be something that we have to get trained on. That ought to be the presence of Jesus in us. So there's one small way that you might just begin to pray about how you can be a neighbor in your neighborhood. Now, as your pastor, I want to just, I want to ask a question of you, okay, with heads bowed and eyes closed. I want to know if I can count on you. Because as a, at a large gathering, you understand we have to sort of really focus on our neighborhoods so that we can, even though God's drawing and bringing a lot of people, and we're not, listen, some people say, I like a small church. Now, think about that statement. I like. That's where we mess up. I like. We ought to go where we feel called of God to go and be fed by the Word of God and pray God grows it wherever we are. And when He does, we have to be intentional about making relationships. We need to find a small group to be a part of. We need to visit around in our neighborhood. Here's what I want to ask you. All right, tonight, here's what I want to ask you. I'm going to ask a question, and then I'm going to challenge you, all right? Here's the question. Would you be willing to be a neighbor in your neighborhood? Maybe it's something you've never thought about. Maybe it's something you're already doing a little bit here and there. But I'm asking you, every time you come in the doors and you come and take a place in your neighborhood, you sit in maybe in a little different spot, maybe move around a little bit. I'm not saying you have to every time, but that you will certainly every time go around. Instead of putting your stuff down, just sitting down there and just sort of sitting, you'll go visit some folk. You'll go, listen to this. I, no, I'd love nothing more as a pastor to look out across and see people praying with each other every time we gather. Not just at the altar, out in your neighborhood out there. So, so here's the question. You ready? I, I was going to say something. I was gonna, here's the question. Here's the challenge. How many of you, by a show of hands, would say, you know what, Pastor, I'm willing to do that. I think it'd honor Jesus if I did that, and I'm willing to do that. Would you slip your hand up in the air and just say, Pastor, I'm, I'm, willing to, I'm willing to ask the Lord to help me to do that, and I'm going to get out. All right, now, there's a bunch of hands in the room, so I'm going to be expecting you guys to be sort of moving around a little bit, and I'm going to pray over you real quick, all right? Lord Jesus, would you, those whose hands are raised, <clears throat> those who are maybe listening online, Lord, would you help us to be faithful in being a neighbor in, in, in some small way right here in this room? If there's a mission field in here, we don't always have to go uh, uh, overseas. We don't always have to go across the city. Lord, right in this room, there's a mission field. So help us to be kind and gracious, more than just good morning and nodding our head as we go by, but asking people, can we pray for them, getting their name, getting, learning about their lives. Father, I thank you that Jesus Christ is true neighbor. Now I pray that I would be. And I pray that we would be. Now, as I'm talking to you for a minute, heads bowed and eyes, I just would say this. If you've never been born again, let me say the good news is this. It's not too late for you. Jesus Christ bled and died and rose from the grave. And tonight, he'll, he wants to be neighbor, Savior, Lord, and King of your life. And I want you to know that there's nothing stands between you and him except, except you not willing to say yes and surrender your life to him. So tonight, if the Spirit's nudging and urging, would you just lay down your arms Quit resisting the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> confess with your mouth what you believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, and confess him as Lord tonight. He'll save you. Wherever you're out of there, he'll save you. If you are born again, let's be a neighbor. I want to say in just a minute, the altar's open, and you come as the Holy Spirit leads. There are going to be others down front to help me. So, Father, I pray in Jesus' name we'd all search our hearts tonight, and we would look and see, and we'd ask your Holy Spirit to help us know whether we're a neighbor, whether we're not. And if we're not, we'd repent, which means that changing of the mind and say, goodness, I, I have not really been living as a neighbor, and I'll turn, and I'll say, Lord, help me. Help me, God, to be a neighbor. We ask now that you move in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.